Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Favorite time of year. It's football season. That total leather. Total leather. Dunlap Champions Club is in play. Literally seven home games on the schedule, and they've got some great packages available. You may be aware, if you've not been in the Dunlap Champions Club yet, try a three-game ticket package. You can get Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Florida, and then two of the four remaining home games on the schedule. But I go back to your most important point. If you've not ever been Toe there. leather? Oh, no, that was your point. If you've not ever been there, take a tour. Go look at it. Go visit it. If you go, you'll want to be there. Comes with shade, air conditioning. That comes in play during uh, during the hot games. Although, I'm going to be honest. There's going to be so much excitement with the Taggart era. You may not want to go inside because you're going to miss about 28 plays if you walk inside for but five But you'll minutes. be sitting in a chair that's got a back and an armrest and a cup holder. Dunlap Champions Club. Uh, of course, all your food and non-alcoholic beverages are, are baked into the price. Uh, it's good food. It's a great experience. It's a great time. Get on board. The number to call is 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We are in a good mood despite the gloomy conditions out and about in Tallahassee because it is a game week. Game week, and although it's Wednesday, it's actually Monday. There's for a game football week, game for coming. game week preparation. I've got a little sliding scale that tells me what day we can consider it based on when the team actually plays. How are you, Keith? I'm doing great. I love, I love Coach Taggart's begin, uh, beginning to his. First weekly press conference. He's obviously had other press conferences, but first weekly press conference. He says, um, "All gas, no breaks." I guess the prior regimes says it's easier to say uh, "whoa" than "giddy up." They've but, all got their expressions. Yep. Yeah, he came in and wanted to know if anybody brought the juice, and nobody raised their hand to ask a question, so he amped it up and said, "I'll bring the juice." I'll bring the juice. All gas, no breaks. I have in my hot little hands a depth chart how about that i guess there's a bunch of two-letter words in there too and the biggest question of the fall has been answered as i look at this keith ricky aguayu is going to be the kicker you know that was the question that's been on all of our listeners minds i mean i have been if it's been once it's been a hundred times how about this first stat you didn't think about what's that aguayu's made 18 of his last 19 field goals I know. Well, and, and we're in this era right now with, with Willie and uh, thinking that we're going to be more aggressive and not kick field goals as much. Love you, Ricky, but hopefully we're going for it every fourth. That's, I mean, every conversation I'm in is, yep. if we're at the 18. But he's, made, he's made 18 of his last 19. I know. But, and we've critiqued the fact that a lot of times it doesn't feel like the ball came out great, and then there it doesn't is. doesn't matter. It's the <laughs> three is three. You know, it's a line drive in the box score, right, that, at the end of the day. So so that is it. Ricky Aguayo is going to be the place kicker this year, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, did you count no. how many oars are on that? There's a, lo- there's a lot of oars here. Uh, that's O-R, not O-A-R. Hopefully everybody on the depth chart, though, will grab an oar. And, and do row the, the boat. And row the boat, yes. Um, we can get to uh, – well, the DeAndre news is a couple of days old, so let's let's start elsewhere. When you some of the highlights of what he said today, when you're talking about the oars, you look at the wide receiver position, three receivers listed, and you have Nyquan Murray or DJ Matthews or Keyshawn Helton, and then at another position you have Ontario Wilson or Trey Sean Harrison or Tamori and Terry. So Willie said they're all going to play. I don't know that we can read anything into that order. I would suggest that. I think Nooney Murray probably is going to see an awful lot of the field. 
Ontario Wilson is interesting because he's a guy. It's actually very interesting when you think about Ontario Wilson and Tamori and Terry came from the same high school as Afterthoughts, and nobody really they weren't highly rated, and yet they both may see playing time. But uh, but of all these guys, Ontario Wilson's a guy that has not been talked about at all. a lot about Treshawn Harrison, a lot about Keyshawn Helton being the buzz as a camp. Warren Thompson is listed as second team behind Keith Gavin. Now that's the one receiver spot where there's not an or. And Keith Gavin was not talked about a ton this fall because everybody had infatuation with Tamori and Terry. So I'll stop there and let you react. Well, if Gavin is healthy, he by far has been considered to be the most talented and has some experience. The the two big picture things that jumped out at me there is, number one, there's actually 11 positions listed, although there's three wide receivers and a tight end. There's only one running back. I mean, there's no fullback in the Gulf Coast offense. Uh, the other thing that jumped out at me is in one of those wide receivers positions, you have two freshmen. So we're, you're going to see some freshmen playing. Willie talked about it at the press conference. He's talked about it all during camp. Kids that can make plays are going to see time on the field, and we're going to ask them and expect them to make plays on the field during the games. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting. Well, if you look at it, among the three positions, they have eight wide receivers listed. Am I looking at this right? Or nine? I'm trying to count on the fly. I guess eight, and so you've got Warren Thompson's a freshman, Keyshawn Helton's a freshman, Treshawn Harrison's a freshman, Tamorian Terry's a redshirt freshman, and so is Ontario Wilson a redshirt. Yep. So, so five of them. Three true freshmen and two redshirt freshmen amongst the eight or nine, depending on how you count them. And then you have Nooney is a senior, Gavin's a junior, DJ Matthews is a sophomore. DJ listed as the first-team punt returner, so he's going to play. Now, he has not participated fully through fall camp, had a back injury, but was out there doing individual drills most of the time. So that's that's good to see. The other thing that was interesting here is he Coach Taggart was asked about his running backs where he has an embarrassment of riches, really. That he, that he does. And Anthony Grant, who's gotten a lot of buzz as a freshman, is fifth team. And Amir Rasul would start at a lot of places, by the way, in his fourth team. But Taggart was asked, how's it going to work? Is he going to play one or two of them, you know, three of them? How's he? And the basic answer was... All five are going to play. Tune in Monday to find out how I use them. The, the answer was um, pre, pre, uh, precluded is not the right word. What's the word I'm going for? I don't you know. You should have seen the smile on Taggart's face uh, before he actually answered the question. Right. He heard the question. This huge grin came on his face, and he came and said, as you paraphrase, well, show up Monday. I'll show you how I'm going to use them was basically what he said. Well, everybody's excited. I mean, it's a new era. It is a new offense. There's new hope. It's sort of like uh, spring training, if you will, for baseball. You know, everybody's got a chance. And, you know, then three months in, you're, you're 80 games out of first place. You've talked the offensive side. Let's go over to the defensive side. There's where my concerns are. Uh, Samuels is listed as a starter. Uh, Willie was asked specifically about him today, said he would play. I'm concerned because he hadn't had a lot of reps, at least in the team drills. Kane Doe, we still don't know what his issue is. Although, again, Coach Taggart said we would see him. Uh, and the other thing that was interesting to me, you and I were talking about it before we came on the air, of the, of the linebacker positions, two of the starters are actually known or uh, believed to be defensive backs in Brooks and uh, Woodby. Uh, I thought that was interesting. So they're a especially bit of a- because it was reported or portrayed that they were playing the same position mm-hmm. through much of fall. But really, I think there's a little little bit of concern just from an injury standpoint. Of course, Marvin, uh, how much how many snaps are you going to get out of him as well? Um, and but but it's interesting to see those youngsters 
being noted and, and probably first snap being listed as starters, you're going to see a lot of them on the field. I like that. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment, and uh, we'll get his reaction to that. We'll also talk to David Teal, who's a veteran reporter, the best the best guy on the beat if you consider the ACC the beat. He's he, the best hack for the ACC, he's to, got, to borrow that phrase that we, we, we got a hold of last week. He's got Swafford on speed dial, and more importantly, Swafford has him on speed dial. And though they won't confirm him, and I'm pretty sure that's true. He knows he's he, dialed he, into he the is, ACC. He is Commissioner Swafford's leak when, when on those very few occasions right. when the uh, ACC office has a leak. I want to sw- uh, switch gears just a little bit. There's a ton of buzz about this game for all the reasons we just cited. You also have Bowden and Beamer coming back. You've got the uniform thing, which was announced, which Florida State's wearing black unis on Monday night. If and you were garnet wearing. helmets and garnet, garnet helmets. helmets, we'll we'll discuss that later on. We'll ask Tim maybe to to rate that. Um, but Peter Warwick is going to be in the lights on Monday night as he gets honored and gets his due. And remember, they don't retire the number; they retire the jersey. jersey. And this this was actually announced much earlier. It was during spring practice. Coach Taggart, who has known Pete for a long time, asked him to come to practice, didn't really tell him why, and then surprised him and made that announcement in front of the team. So we had Peter Warwick on the show. This was just prior to the spring football game. And uh, to gauge his feelings about what's going to be a special night, here's that part of that conversation. What was your initial reaction when you got the word that Florida State was set to retire your Florida State jersey? Honestly, I couldn't believe it. Like, it, it, it came as a total surprise. Like, I really didn't know. You know, I talked to Coach Taggart, and he was like, actually, can I be at practice, and can I come down? I was like, yeah, I'll come down. So when I get down there, and then, then they let me know that that, that great news, because that's what it was, great news. I was just, I just thank God, you know. And it was a blessing for me. And as you reflect on it, as you reflect on it, P-Dub, because you know the guys, the elite company you're with right now. What does that mean to you? To me, it was just, it's an honor to be amongst those guys. You know, Charlie Wars, the Chris Winkie, Ward Dunn, Terrell Buckley, Deion Sanders, Simmons, and Sellers, and Derrick Brooks. I mean, it's just a great honor, man. And I'm just honored to be in, 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 in a class with those guys. Do we know which game we're going to do the ceremony yet, or is that still being worked out? I don't know. I, I I hope it's the Virginia Tech game, the first game of the year. But how fitting? How fitting would that be, Pete? I, I'm, I'm just trying, I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I'm just going to suggest I've been lobbying for that ever since that game moved to Monday night to say this would this would be the time to do it. So we'll see. I, I don't know if uh, that's official yeah. or what. Well, and I'll tell you, but one of one of the highlights, uh, Pete, of my broadcast career uh, is is '99. The Sugar Bowl, uh, we were taping some stuff for Sun Sports, Sunshine Network, and, and after the game, we were in the locker room, and, and we were getting stuff on tape, and, and the last four people to walk out of the locker room after that 99 championship game were, were Peter Warwick and Chris Winkie and Keith Jones and Paul Kennedy. And I, and I, I never will forget, I got, I got my comeuppance because you two got in a van and they took you back to the team hotel, and Kennedy and I had to walk back to Bourbon Street. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, that was a great time. It was a great time, especially because KJ and PK had to walk. Exactly. <laughs> Would hate to try to do that. Today's uh, uh, never mind. 
Obviously, if you just tuned in, that was from April when we had Peter Warwick on the show, and at that point, it wasn't determined wasn't official, yet, but uh, that it was going to be the Virginia Tech game. We were all but, hoping. Uh, I wanted to, to re-air that because that's clearly the game he wanted. You know, you may have forgotten this. the The next part of that was that there was social media. LeBron James tweeted that he wore number nine growing up because of Peter Warwick, and there was a whole ensuing conversation about P-Dub saying he wanted LeBron to come to the game. And him not, saying he was going to maybe reach out and invite him to come. We haven't heard one way or the other. We're not about here, here to tell you. I'm on the you. sideline and LeBron's there on Monday night. Man, we are Man, really on to something. Huh? You talk about goosebumps and, and uh, some notoriety. Me that, and LeBron on the same sideline? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding there. <laughs> hey, you know who's having a birthday this week, Keith? Uh, Coach Taggart had a birthday. He did. And actually, that wasn't who I was thinking of. But happy birthday, Coach. I'll 42. see you. 42. I'll see Can you. Can you imagine? 42. What, what was it like to be 42? Well, Jones, what was it like to be 42? I can't remember. Somebody at the kickoff luncheon last week, after Gene Deckerhoff pointed out that Taggart was having a birthday and pointed out when he was born, somebody came up to me and said, he's only 42? I feel old all of a sudden. It was one of those conversations. No, this is who's having a birthday in addition to Coach. And again, happy belated birthday to you, Coach. Madison Social turns five tomorrow night. Hard to believe they because they are How many so- years is that in restaurant years? Oh. That's like that's like seven digits, I think, in restaurant years. Um, it feels like they've been around much longer because they've done such a good job ingraining themselves in the community. And, and, uh, and probably they're so popular because they're the original sponsor of this show. But thank you to Matt and everybody affiliated with Madison Social. Conveniently, Keith, tomorrow night is their fifth birthday party. Conveniently, you and I have both been booked by our agents also known as somebody emailed and we responded yes, <laughs> to appear at the Tallahassee Seminole Club kickoff event that directly across Madison Street at Township tomorrow night. So looking forward. Chances are we may have to personally wish a happy birthday to the Madison Social folks. There may be a handshake and a thank you involved. That is, that is for sure. And a cold beverage. We will come back. Speaking of cold beverages, I'm sure that Tim Linnefeld right now is kicking back. He's already dissected this entire day. De- he probably told coach what the depth chart would be and knows how many oars are on it he will join us next our seminoles.com insider right after this Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. As I hear the bumper music, I will uh, tell you that it's time to fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. And, Tim, this is what I was reminded of. We used to change your your song, your walk-up music. So, I mean, you're stuck for tonight. But are we going to get back on that uh, again, you know, after a Florida State victory Monday night? Are we going to let you pick your own, your, your, your new music? How do you want to work this this season? Well, the deal, right, is that as long as, uh, as long as the winds are rolling in, the music stays the same, right? That is the deal. But to be fair, oh. what you just heard was, I don't think that was your, your call. We mixed that in somewhere along the line. I don't, I don't remember. Last well, year went so far now, off the so. rails. So we're committed. So we're sticking with that until there's a loss and then we're changing. All right. Exactly. All right, so uh, the big story today, as I pointed out in the first segment, is that the depth chart is out, and and lo and behold, Ricky Aguayo is the starting kicker. Were you shocked by that news? 
Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, no, there you have it. Specialist, uh, pretty much the same. No, it's uh, yeah, the depth chart day is always kind of like a, a minor holiday for for college football. I thought you know the the biggest juice was at the quarterback spot, and, and Willie Taggart kind of took the suspense out of that one. But there are a few little uh, few little surprises and things on that that list. So first, the juice because KJ and I didn't talk about the quarterback decision in the first segment. I don't know that anybody was surprised, but your reaction, especially now that you've had 48 hours to digest it, that DeAndre Francois is back as the starting quarterback. Uh, I think it's, it's about what, well, certainly what I expected. I think, you know, back in the spring, uh, I was you know, telling you guys that, that I thought that you know, if he could get healthy and get right and do everything he needed to do that was set out for him to, to reclaim his job, I thought it was sort of there uh, for the taking. Honestly, I mean, I think it's a good thing for Florida State. It's a good sign uh, because I think all things being equal – that DeAndre Francois is their best quarterback, and so if he didn't win the starting job, that means something was off. You know that, that you know, either that knee wasn't healing up right, or that he didn't, uh, you know, do the things that, that Willie Taggart laid out for him to, to get back in his good graces or what have you in the spring. So the fact that, that those things have happened it means that you know that he's healthy and, and that he's uh, you know, in a good place with uh, with the program and his teammates. And, and again, as we said, I think in terms of ability and, and talent uh, i think he's the best option that they have and so you know those to me are are all green lights is a good thing to see i think the thing that jumps out at me though tim is is i don't know that he actually separated himself greatly from bailey or from james but i think it speaks to uh his off-field issues being addressed and 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 willie being satisfied with some of the beyond the white line things and, and that's encouraging to me because that's the part that, that, that really those of us that have been around for a while looked at and said, you know, he's got to get that part corrected before he can even worry about winning a job on the field. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. And, and look, man, I, I think in the, you know, Willie Taggart's track record at other schools kind of bears this out. Um, it, had those parameters not been met or the criteria not been met, I mean, Dunner Francois wouldn't be the starting quarterback. Uh, and, and, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I do think he was the best option, but, but I don't think it was a situation, you know, like five years ago when, when Jameis Winston emerges on the scene and all of a sudden guys are transferring out. You know, it isn't like that. Um, and, and, you know, if I were James Blackman or Bailey Hawkman, I mean, I would still, you know, be a behind, if, if not necessarily full-time, being a full-time starter this year. I mean, those guys have reason to stick around. Um, but, uh, but all that said, you know, look, man, it's, it's, it's a good thing, you know, to me that, that, your, your best quarterback, who I believe is your best quarterback, is in position to be your starting quarterback. Uh, I mean, that's uh, you know, it, it sounds obvious, but that's a pretty positive thing. I'm going to mention three names here, Tim, that jump out to me on this depth chart that I don't feel like have been talked about very much throughout fall camp. Fred Jones, A.J. Westbrook, and Keith Gavin. Those are all veteran guys, and we're always excited about the shiny new freshman but they have a chance, and Keith is listed. He's the only receiver that's listed as a starter, really, because everybody else has an oar. And A.J. Westbrook and, and uh, Fred Jones starters as well. Jones, uh, you know, because Wilson's been banged up, I guess, so we'll see. But just your thoughts on those three. Well, let me start with Keith Gavin. Um, he's been a really interesting study because, you know, I think by the end of last year and in the spring, I think folks were, were kind of down on Keith Gavin, and he was having maybe a hard time, you know, getting adjusted in that offense. I think a lot of a lot of receivers were having a hard time getting adjusted in that offense. Um, it, had, it hadn't really made much of an impact. And then spring comes along, and you see, you know, Tamori and Terry do what he did in the spring. You, you see some of those other guys uh, that, that maybe, uh, you know, like the Nyquan Murray or DJ Matthews types that we think maybe are a little more, 
prototypical in, in Willie Taggart's offense in terms of, you know, getting the ball, you know, short passes, getting the ball in space and making moves. Uh, you know, your thoughts on, like, you know, a big guy like, like Keith Gavin who, you know, maybe isn't as fast as some other guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get down on him. But then somewhere along the line over these last few weeks, um, and I'm not sure exactly when it happened, maybe about a week or so into camp, um, he started to look really, really good, man. And, and honestly, I think Keith Gavin's had a really nice camp. I think the depth chart bears that out. Uh, you know, I wouldn't read too, too, too much into that depth chart, but I do think the fact that, like you said, Tom, he's the one guy listed as a full-time starter, uh, I think that says something. Uh, I think he, he, man, he, he looks really nice. He makes nice plays on the ball. There are lots of times uh, in camp over the last few weeks I'd see him making a, you know, a diving catch down the sideline or making a nice adjustment uh, on a deep pass. I mean, I think he's really going to make some things happen for them. So uh, I think it's a really encouraging thing because, I mean, look at the guy, you know, as, as, as physically as well-built as he is. Uh, you know, if you have him clicking and, and in your offense as, as being as good as he can be, I mean, that's, that, that's nothing but a good thing, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, good on him for, for getting together and, 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 you know, making an impact. And I think he's going to, He's going to play a lot against Virginia Tech, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if he was kind of their, their main receiver out of that slot all season. Um, that guy's A.J. Westbrook, is that one? Yep, yep. Let's talk too much about, about Keith. Yeah, I was actually thinking about, uh, about, him, and, um, about him and Kyle Myers today. How, uh, you know, you, you mentioned how we, we get so uh, uh, enamored with the, the, the shiny new things, in this case the freshmen, and how there, there are a lot of, uh, of talented underclassmen defensive backs at Florida State, certainly. Uh, the, the the freshman class with Asante Samuel and AJ Litton and Isaiah Bolden, but but good on AJ Westbrook and uh, Kyle Myers for for kind of holding on to their starting jobs. Um, it wasn't because those guys didn't have an opportunity, but their experience, and I think they have a chance to uh, to be really good players. And uh, and AJ, you know, he he kind of got a you know a, a, a tough, he was thrown into a tough situation a couple of years ago uh, when he was forced to uh, to start, and, and you know kind of a baptism by fire, but. But you can grow from that, and so uh, you know. I think that's a uh, you know. Again, it speaks to him. Uh, I think it probably to a degree speaks to Harlan Barnett's defense. We talk so much about the uh, the, the lethal simplicity on offense, and 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 but uh, but Harlan Barnett wants to do that on defense as well. He's, he's kind of used that exact same phrase, and you know, your, your first thought is, oh, when a defense is that simple or, or a system is that simple, it's going to make it easy for the young guys to come in and pick it up. But uh, but also, I mean, you know. Think about you know somebody else, a, a senior or, or, a, or an upperclassman like AJ Westbrook, who's been learning a different system for however long. It can be hard for those guys to make a transition, but uh, it seems like he's been able to do that as well. And, and probably credit that to, uh, to Harlan Barnett and his system and the way he's able to teach it. So uh, I do think you know with the caveat that, that those guys are going to play. Uh, you know AJ being a safety, he's listed ahead of uh, Cyrus Fagan. I do think Cyrus Fagan's going to have a, a role to play this year, just because I think he's a really really nice player. Um, but uh, but no, I think it, it speaks to to the experience and, and the talent and and just kind of the the, you know, the way they were able to stick with it. AJ, I know you didn't ask about Kyle Myers, but I include him in that group too. Um, and then there's one more I can't remember. I'm sorry. Tell That's all right. Keith wants to weigh in, so we'll go back to that. Go ahead, Keith. Ask a question. No, I'm just uh, what what is a reasonable expectation first three or four series of this new Gulf Coast offense? Are they going to get to the line and have to call a timeout? Are they going to turn the ball over three times? Or are they going to score 35 points in the first five possessions? I, was going to say, I don't think they're going to score 35 in the first three or four possessions, so that would be really something. I said five. <laughs> no, okay, okay, okay. Uh, man, that's a really good question. I think they're going to move fast. Uh, I think that uh, you're, going to, he's, you know, you're going to kind of see the things that you expected to see uh, in terms of, of the pace and the um, Maybe a little bit of misdirection, that sort of thing. Uh, as far as reasonable expectations, uh, you know, I, I was actually kind of watching some of uh, uh, 
of Oregon's games with Lee Taggart on YouTube yesterday. And, uh, you know, you can see a couple times, you know, they like to take shots early. It just seemed like they, they like to take shots early in some of those games. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I just, I just got a feeling uh, the, the energy in that place is going to be, uh, gonna be you know, pretty high. Uh, and uh, Bobby Bowden's going to be there. Peter Warwick's going to be there. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, uh, if Willie Taggart tried to feed into that and, and took a big shot early on, whether in the first possession or the second possession. Uh, try to get the you know the, the, the place even more buzzed and, and maybe put Virginia Tech on their heels a little bit and plant some, some doubt in their minds. Now, you know, as for predicting, I don't know, touchdowns in three out of the first five possessions, uh, you know, I, I don't know about that uh, and, you know, laying it out that specifically. But uh, my, my prediction, my expectation is to, uh, to don't be surprised if, if he tries to take advantage of something early on. To your point about the atmosphere, Willie won't have to worry about bringing the juice like he like he commented at the start of today's press conference. the the other uh, The other player that I mentioned, Tim, uh, previously was Fred Jones. Right. And, right. Yeah. Just, how do you you know a comment on Fred, and then how you expect that to go? It related to really you know how much is is Marvin going to play? Well, you know, Fred. I actually wrote this a little bit ago uh, in, a, in a story that we'll we'll publish on Seminoles dot com a little bit later. Is that he's quietly turned into a really, really, really nice player. You know, uh, he's very solid, very steady. He's a really smart guy. Obviously, has a football lineage, knows what he's doing out there. He's just extremely dependable. Uh, so I think you know he's a fifth-year senior. You know, you're you're in good hands. I think when he's on the field. Now, I do expect uh, Marvin Williams when he gets to be 100 percent. If he's not there already, I think he'll get the lion's share uh, of the snaps there. But I won't be surprised if uh, I mean if. if Pretty healthy and, and steady rotation, and then and real quick before we talk about Marvin, uh, our super guest talk about Marvin some more. Don't sleep on uh, on Corey Durden, you know, redshirt freshman. Uh, I think was really really good out there. Uh, he's a guy that I've seen multiple times uh, getting praised by Odell uh, for the way he does a, a drill or the his technique in practice. At one time, uh, Odell actually stopped the drill and uh, told everybody to stop and, and and brought Corey Durden up front and, and said, "Corey, you do it. Show him how it's done." And uh, and you all know that. Uh, Getting that type of praise from from Odell is no small feat. So uh, you know, keep an eye on him as well. I do think Marvin Wilson is going to play. Um, how much uh, that is, I, I don't. I don't think it'll be a full load for him. If nothing else, just because he hasn't been a full participant in practice uh, for very long. Uh, so I think they're probably going to work him back in. If nothing else, into to game shape and playing shape. Uh, but the fact that he's there at all, I think, is, is pretty encouraging. All right, it's time for the first prediction of the year, Tim. How long is the game going to – no, what, what you got? <laughs> Give me a score. Give me a score. Oh, gosh. I, I haven't even thought about this. Do I have to come up with this already? Well, let's do this then. In the effort of uh, being seamless with our, our shameless plugs, when can we expect to see your written analysis of the game and your score prediction on Seminoles.com? That's all screwed, too. I think it'll probably be on Saturday since the game's on Monday. That's my, that's my best guess. Tim, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. Do you want our listeners to just sit at the screen and refresh the browser time and again? I mean, is that what we What's got? That? Definitely Saturday, everybody. Be there. All right. Saturday afternoon. <laughs> All right, and our music will be the same next week because Tim is going to predict a win and we're going to get one. Appreciate it, sir. No doubt about that. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. You're giddy over there. What's going on? I, I just like Tim. I mean, when you get Tim, Tim's very focused. You know, most most writers they think things out, and, and whether they actually outline their stories or not, they do it in their mind. And and when you can get him off center just a little bit, he's he's quite uh, humorous and very self effacing. I, I had him off center yeah. coming in and going yeah. out, didn't I? And uh, I yeah. just I, I just like being around him and like listening to him. I'm sorry. There we go. 
We will uh, shift the conversation. Well, we'll continue the conversation, but focus more on the Virginia Tech side of the ledger when uh, David Teal, the uh, the dean of sports writers in the ACC, joins us right after this on Front Row Knowles. Back on Front Row Knowles, Florida State, Virginia Tech coming up on Monday, Labor Day night at Doe Campbell Stadium, the start of a new era. And as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once again, we say hello to David Teal from the Daily Press, Newport News, Virginia, the dean of uh, sports writers in the ACC. David, how are you? Good evening, guys. I'm doing great and hope you're doing the same. College football is here. We're doing awesome down this way. What... uh, you know, we, we we get stuck in in uh, the Florida State Tallahassee myopic view of what's going on at FSU. What's your impressions of sort of the way the last year has unfolded and where we sit right now as we get set to usher in the the Willie Taggart era? Well, it's been fascinating. Obviously, whenever you have a coaching transition, especially in an iconic program uh, such as Florida State, a coach who has won a national championship and then moves on, that's unusual in of itself, and then. Willie Tagger, kind of a homecoming. Uh, then he, you know, brings in some some different pieces as, as coordinators. You know, draws from Michigan State for the defensive side. Walt Bell from Maryland for for the offensive side. So I think it's kind of complicated preparation for Virginia Tech. I mean, they're looking at all kinds of different uh, tape uh, the past few months. I'm I'm sure that it has, and not to mention that Taggart's been at several different places too. It's not like he's been nine years at the same stop, uh, and he's only run this offense for the last few years. Maybe that made it easier, but that that seems to be uh, from a defensive point of view. Uh, and I do not know Virginia Tech that well, but I know that every time I looked up this off season, it seemed like somebody got hurt or left the team. So, how dire is it, or is it really not that dire? And they're still pretty talented, and they still have Bud Foster coordinating that group. Well, I think the, the the latter part there is is the key. There are a few, if any, college football defensive coordinators as accomplished and respected as Bud Foster, and with good reason. I mean, his his track record is, I mean, it's it's the gold standard. But Virginia Tech released its tentative two deep for Monday night today on the defensive two deep. There are two count them two seniors. That is a young group. And only one of those seniors is expected to start on Monday night. And given that inexperience, you just have to wonder, you know, especially a linebacker, you know, are, are, are they going to be in the right gaps at the right time when Cam Akers and Jacques Patrick are getting the football. David, I read an article that you, you mentioned the linebackers, but you take the linebackers, the two corners, and one of the safeties. Those five kids, none of them have taken a snap other than special teams in their position until Monday night, if that, if that information was correct. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty jarring thought. Uh, for any head coach in any opener 
let alone on a stage such as Monday night on the road. Florida State has played more than its share of these Monday night games. I want to widen the conversation. Whenever we have you on, we of course have to talk about the ACC network and I don't know that I don't know that we're going to know many details until we really get close. But I'll ask broadly: right. um, Should we expect that next year at this time, as they're trying to get uh, carriers to align and, and uh, get further penetration, is there going to be, you know, a Florida State game, a Virginia Tech game, maybe it's a Clemson game since they're the top dog? I mean, are we going to hold some of these games off of the main networks and put them on the ACC network so that they're there's pressure on the cable carriers and that sort of thing. I mean, do you have any idea what this rollout is going to look like, when they're going to officially launch it, that sort of thing? The answer to your first question, absolutely. There will be marquee games on that ACC network, both football and men's basketball. I mean, that's how you create demand, and that's, I think, the the, the wise play. I think next year, at, at this time, you'll be looking at multiple conference games the first weekend, uh, which is unusual. Obviously, Virginia Tech-Florida State this year is the only league game. Uh, I believe it's the only, one of only two Power Five uh, conference games uh, here, here in Week 1, but the ACC, I would be stunned otherwise, uh, will have multiple uh, next year, including, I think, on Thursday night to be the first football game on, on the ACC network, just like the AC, or the SEC network did. I believe it was Texas A&M and South Carolina, guys, mm-hmm. was the, what, what was that Thursday night game uh, on that debuting network. So, yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head. There will be big-time matchups on that ACC network, games that you would – normally associate with ABC or ESPN. David, there, there's no way that, that Swafford and or the ACC conference could script it, but I think it's interesting uh, with, with Taggart now being in the fold and if everything stays the same, you go over to 2019, the the coaching staff, the, the head coaches that make up the ACC with with Fuentes at Tech and Rick at Miami and, and uh, as I mentioned, Taggart here at Florida State. And, and launching, Dabo. And, Dab- and Dabo continuing at Clemson. I mean, there's going to be some entertaining uh, stories and thought process and successes that go into that ACC network when it launches next year. I think you make an excellent point, and you're, you're right. You can't script it, but I've heard from many fans over the years why is the ACC behind the curve on a conference network? Well, there's many reasons, one of which is that five and ten years ago, not to put too fine a point on it, but ACC football stunk overall. The conference was in no position to sell a network to ESPN or viewers. And now you look at the last five years. Florida State wins the national championship in 2013 and then makes the inaugural college football playoff. Clemson's been to the playoff the last three years and won a, won a national championship in its second year in, in the CFP. These are the best five successive years in ACC football history, and it's not close. And now you, you would think there'd be similar success this year, Clemson and, and Miami are pretty much consensus top 10, top 15 teams. 
And then you've got Florida State and Virginia Tech there on the cusp of, of the top 20 in, in that range. Uh, I, I think the ACC is set for, for another uh, you know, nationally prominent season. I'm going to ask an impossible-to-answer question, but I'll ask it anyway. It's the multimillion-dollar question, David. Yeah. We won't know what the carriage looks like for the ACC network until it gets, you know, right up until it gets launched and even after because they'll, they'll continue to add. So there's no way to know yep. this. But, I mean, ESPN has changed uh, leaders in the last uh, year or so. Uh, everywhere I go, I run into nothing but skeptics about how much revenue, uh, if any at all, is going to come out of this ACC network. What are your thoughts on and 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 you know this as well? Stan Wilcox, when he was AD here, did throw out a figure uh, a couple years ago for the board of trustees that he expected the first year to be. I think it was a ten million dollar bump, and then subsequently, you know, basically it would line up with what the SEC network has done. You'd just be five years behind the curve because they launched earlier. Where do you think that's going to land? I I do not anticipate, and I don't think anyone in the ACC anticipates that this network will match the SEC's original bumps. It, it just doesn't pan out that way. Because just, just from a demographic standpoint, you know, the SEC has one small private school in Vanderbilt. The, SEC, the ACC is loaded with such schools. That means smaller fan base. That means... You know, just not quite the demand and the and the passion, especially for football. So, the notion that the ACC network is suddenly going to bump the conference distribution ten to fifteen billion dollars per school per year, right out of the chute, to me is unrealistic. You think they get to five? Yes. I think that's I, I think that seems much more feasible, doable. All right, David. Let's let's come back to uh, what, what is at hand. What do you think happens Monday night? What what's the the scenario, and uh, what do you think the outcome looks like? I think Florida State wins to, to to cut to the chase. I just think the Seminoles are better and better prepared for this kind of game. What I think Virginia Tech will try to do is in its last two games of 2017, the bowl against Oklahoma State and the season finale against UVA, the Hokies ran the ball very effectively, better than they had all season. That's their one glimmer of hope Monday night, is basically hog the football. Bogart possession and keep that young defense off the field and limit Florida State's possessions and snaps. And if, if the Bulls are up around 85 snaps, I just don't see how Virginia Tech makes that work. Well, and the, the challenge with what you just laid out is that if Florida State hits a couple big plays on those young corners and gets a lead, it's tough to come from behind if your plan is to run the football. Correct. Well, this no, is you're, no. You're absolutely right, and that that's why I mean, especially early, and and strong starts were far from a strength for Virginia Tech last season. 
David, we appreciate your insight as always. Uh, sorry to deviate down the ACC network line. You should have a rider in your in your contract that you get <laughs> you get compensated every time somebody asks you about the ACC network. But I know you know as much as anybody on it, so we appreciate that. I try to be, guys. Thank you so much, David uh, Teal from the Daily Press in Newport News, Virginia. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. You bet. Virginia Tech and Florida State coming up Monday night. Keith, we've had everybody else on, so we might as well talk about the game when we continue on Front Row Knowles. What I, say think, you? I think we should. I think we should do that as well. More after this. Me and Dale were singing Little Runaway I was flying Yeah, running down a dream That never would come to me Working on a mystery Front row, Knowles is available on demand after every week's show, so please demand it. You can get it on the WTSM app. You can uh, also head to ESPNTallahassee.com, and under the Audio Vault drop-down menu, simply click the front row to hear some of uh, our lovely archives, including that full conversation with Peter Warwick. We played that earlier. I forgot, and we didn't didn't delve into this in the first segment, but the second part of that is P-Dub and LeBron James. Are we going to get LeBron here or not? I have not heard, but I I know that uh, Peter said back in April that that's something he might decide to reach out to, and uh, I believe if he does reach out that uh, LeBron will at least answer, may not be able to respond, but would at least uh, connect with him. And by the way, if, if that happens, we'll have a full report on it because we'll remind our listeners that we're going to start doing our Sunday show, uh, although it'll be on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Just this week. Just this week, yeah. but then on uh, – Subsequent, uh, both home and away, our shows uh, on Sundays will air at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. So it'll be your first opportunity to get a, a feel for our observations regarding what went on in those ball games. And uh, so uh, look for Tuesday at 6 after Virginia Tech and then Sundays at uh, 8 a.m. after the rest of them. And that show last year was sort of therapeutic for you and I. We just talked it all out after every game and it aired. And Hopefully, hopefully it was, we'll be a hopefully it was therapy for you as well. Hopefully this year it's just because the game was so good you can't stop talking exactly. about it and that's exactly. what it'll turn into. Exactly. Um, you know, a couple of things and as, I, as I looked at this depth chart and, and we talked about this with Tim, uh, you know, nobody gets to the specialists uh, or the return game, but it's worth noting First of all, D.J. Matthews is listed as a first-team punt returner, so that's a good sign that he's healthy. If you're going to put him as the first-team punt returner, he's healthy enough to play. Uh, but Keyshawn Helton got a lot of run in the preseason, and he's the backup. And when you look at the starting kick returners, Anthony Grant is listed as a starting kick returner alongside Amir Rasul. So that's two of that stable of running backs. Uh, I'm excited to see those guys. All those guys get a chance. Well, with with how badly punt returns went last year for reasons we've documented, we won't go down that road again. And then remind you, we mentioned in the first segment, uh, you know, Ricky's 18 of his last 19. Uh, Tyler Logan is uh, 42.3% was his punt average last year for the entire year and was much better than that probably in the second half than in the first half. So both the kicks uh, and, of course, as we've talked about, the kickoff and who, how you're going to handle that and the fair catch. And if you make the fair catch, you move it back out to the 25, just like if it goes into the end zone. Just some things to be looking for when, uh, when, when uh, uh, Monday night rolls around and kickoff. One of the changes this year, too, and we didn't ask David Teal about this, though he just penned an article about it yesterday. I don't think he actually penned it. He probably used his computer. I don't think he, he wrote it out, but I'm not sure how he was. Could have been a quill and an ink, ink, <laughs> exactly. ink that. 
the ACC coaches for the last several years have uh, agreed to provide injury reports uh, generally by Thursday. And so they did it. They weren't always accurate. There was a coach here who probably omitted some names at times. But there was no other Power 5 conference doing that. So the ACC coaches this year decided, well, we're not going to do this. They're until... not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But So that was the first premise, first part of David Teal's article. The second part was, well, uh, you know, now that the rules have changed in, regarding gambling, you can believe that there'll be some, uh, you know, we're not, we're not far from where it will be like the NFL where you're required to list everybody. And then you'll have the coach like Bill Belichick that lists his entire team as questionable just to play the game. Well, John Swafford, commissioner of the ACC, has even admitted uh, and admitted, said publicly that it his, it's his thought that the NCAA uh, will come out with some form of a national guideline for the 2019 season for the disclosure of injuries. Uh, and we'll we'll wait and see what happens. It's going to make it interesting on our pregame show because one of my segments is to go over the injuries, and if they're not reported, I, I guess it'll be whoever texted me or whatever I observed uh, or, or lied about uh, when time comes. Well, you're a big boy. Um, we'll figure it out. I think I'm going to go with who's not dressed. Except that that, <laughs> except that that segment airs before they actually come out on the field, so you can't even go that way. Speaking of the injury situation, though, so and again, if you're just tuning in, the depth chart came out today. Today was like a Monday. Willie had his uh, – his press conference, uh, but he, he has said that uh, Stanford Samuels is going to play, Dontavious Jackson is going to play, Joshua Kando is going to play, uh, Marvin Wilson is going to play. What we don't know is how much how they're, much how much they're going to play. Um, so I guess I guess we'll just wait and see. But that's a lot. Those are several key names there on that Florida State defense. If I told you they were all one hundred percent healthy, you'd feel a lot better going into Monday night than than me saying the, the thing i worry about though tommy is in and 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 coach taggart was very adamant about this if jake file and his staff come back to him uh let's say after warm-ups on monday and say so-and-so's back didn't loose, loosen up and so-and-so's knee looks like it's swelling and so-and-so's ankle is not feeling well then obviously you're not going to see those kids and i'm wondering no no disrespect to coach taggart but i'm wondering how much is of some of the things that he's said is willful hope on his own part simply because we don't have the standardization of reporting and everything. And I'm not saying there's any gamesmanship or anything being played, but you know, I know Willie wants those kids to be out there, and I hope they do, and all of them do have the opportunity to get out there. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. The atmosphere, and Tim mentioned this, is going to be great on Monday night. Um, well, let's, let's look at a couple of quick things as we wrap up. First of all, Virginia Tech quarterback Josh Jackson had some issues over the offseason, some academic-related things. Those have been cleared up. A very good passer, but he lost all his weapons. He doesn't have the same people both to hand the ball off to and to throw the ball to. But in his own right, he averaged 5.4 yards a carry if you subtract the sack yardage. He's a big kid. Coach Taggart talked about that. He's hard to bring down. He's lost some weapons, but they're trying to find a way – to, to get some chunk plays. And Fuentes in the ACC kickoffs talked about they've got to find a way to run the ball and they've got to find a way to get some chunk plays, chunk plays being ball down the field. We've talked about maybe Florida State comes out taking some shots. Maybe Virginia Tech comes out taking some shots because they're going to need to. On defense, they've got a wonderful defensive lineman by the name of Ricky Waddell. And this is a defense, even though they lost all the people, only gave up 14 points a ball game last year. And let's remember as a program, this is a game in our team in Virginia Tech that's won 19 games in the last two years and has the second longest consecutive bowl streak, second only to Florida State. They've appeared in 25 consecutive bowl games. It's a, it's a very viable program, very young, 
Don't expect Florida State to come out and win this one 42-2. to two. Not going to happen. It's going to be a competitive ball game and a hard-fought ball game. You know, 42-2 to two is just, that's where I laid my money, that exact score. You're, so you're, now that you've told me it's not going to happen, better, I guess I'll get it back. Your point about Virginia Tech going after chunk plays, let's talk about Stanford Samuels the third. Extremely talented, moved to a new position, and has been injured. So you'd have to think if they see him out there, they got to test take a shot. I mean, that's, a shot. that's what you do. you got to exactly. take a shot. He's a, uh, he's a sophomore. Obviously, he's, he's a very good player, but you're going to you're going to take and a shot is, there. is Levante as good as they say he is if Virginia Tech may not be respecting him like other teams in the ACC I think he's pretty doggone good but they may not think that what what do you do in terms of matching him up the other thing is that Virginia Tech does not acknowledge Florida State's bowl streak so that is correct maybe we should just remind everybody of that because they will freely tweet out and Facebook out or whatever other social media mediums they use that they own the nation's longest bowl streak so yeah, and I also call them Vautech, and they just despise that. You know what we didn't talk about today, Keith? Just because I want to I leave. I played against them three times. Do you know that? Florida State played Virginia Tech like 17 years in a row from the mid-60s all the way through the end of the uh, early, early 80s. And how many times in that stretch or during your three appearances did the team wear black uniforms? None. And, and by that the was way, the, That's what I was going to ask you about. Black I, mean, uniforms, I just want to see you get fired up and say, well, just wear the green. I've learned. No, I've learned. I've learned. I'm an old-time guy. I like the old uniforms. I do. And I know many of my peer group don't like the new uniforms. But it's not about us anymore. It's about what the kids want, and it's about what the new fans want. This is evolution, folks. We I'm are, coming around. This is some new ground. I'm trying. I'm trying. You know what I would like to see? Let's get those old school helmets that had the state of Florida on them, though. I wouldn't mind seeing those at some point. Let's there, fire those There up. was discussion about bringing them back and bringing back the old jerseys with the twin stripes on the shoulders, particularly the away jerseys, the, the white jerseys, away jerseys with the twin stripes on the shoulders. Throwback. We'll see. Folks, next week will be twice as nice for you because Front Row Knowles comes your way Tuesday and Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Tuesday, we'll recap the Monday night game. Wednesday, who knows what we'll do. Recap it some more. That's what we do. Thanks for tuning in here to Front Row Knowles. We'll talk to you next week.